Fathers, we now come to share together in your word as we read and share. We ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts in such a way as to strengthen our walk with you. Draw us close together and close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. second here to get reorganized. I was uh, thinking about Kimberly in this mission trip, and uh, I think this is the first time where she's actually traveled alone to go to a mission work, and so there's a little apprehension about all of that, and uh, I think that adds to the possibility of a little bit of homesick before you ever even get landed in Ecuador. Uh, she's in Quito, Ecuador, the capital of, of Ecuador, working at an academy, uh, Christian school there, that's uh, affiliated with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And they, they work with a lot of the, um, dip, uh, diplomats, student kids, uh, uh, other you know, locals, as well as missionary kids. And so uh, it's quite an experience for her to finish her teaching credential. It's set up through uh, the uh, Bible College Simpson where she can actually finish getting her uh, teaching credential there while serving in a mission capacity. So it's really kind of an exciting time for her. But you have to know that it kind of got off to a bad start. She wasn't met at the airport the way she was supposed to be. There was nobody there to greet her and, and let her know what was going on. And she also had her cell phone stolen. And so, uh, you know, just, you know, no way to, to, to call home and ask for money to come back. No, <laughs> that may have been, the, the, you know, but uh, anyway, I think we've got most of it figured out as to what we're, she's going to do and how to get the phone and, and I, uh, you know, some articles that uh, I sent to her via email that she might be able to figure out how to uh, get some things set up uh, that she can get that taken care of, but... Uh, she was just letting me know. Most I asked her very specifically uh, yesterday. I said, "What can we pray for?" And she says, oh, "I'm homesick." <laughs> so I, that's the prayer request. But she's going to be busy, so uh, that will help a lot. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter four, and we're uh, going over the twenty-third, fourth, and fifth verses again, and. Uh, Follow along as I read. And we went throughout all Galilee, Jesus, you know, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. We, I wanted to focus last week, we talked more about the, the kingdom of, 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 of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, the gospel being preached and, and kind of focused mostly on the kingdom of heaven last week. This, this week more of the context and the whole picture here. Uh, remember in verse uh, 12, Jesus is starting this ministry in Galilee. Verse 11 ends with the, 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 his temptations. Uh, and, and between verse 11 and verse 12, it's actually a whole year of ministry, mostly in the Judean area, but some of it up into the Galilean area as well. But I want you to understand, and I, and I realized I hadn't really made this clear as I uh, went back and looked over some things, and, and that was is that during that time, you didn't hear him preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that John the Baptist, verse 12, has been arrested and put into prison, that he is carrying on from his position after the last of the Old Testament prophets. He again, verse 17 of chapter 4 and, and verse 23, all of them talking about he's preaching the kingdom of heaven. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so... Uh, that's the theme of his preaching. And again, he, uh, you know, he went throughout all of Galilee. 
And what I want you to see here is that he went teaching, proclaiming, and healing. Now, I'm not normally into three-point sermons, but it just fixed it its way into here perfectly. And he was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing everyone. And it talks about all the diseases. So we're going to look at these in detail a little bit this morning. First off, the idea of teaching and proclaiming. And I was trying to figure out, in a sense, what would be the best idea of what the difference between the two is. And teaching, uh, and, and I'm referring to something that I picked up from R.C. Sproul, uh, is, is more like expounding on the Word of God. Or expounding on any particular subject. But in the case of Jesus, expound. he would be going back to the Old Testament. He would go to the synagogues. He would... Uh, uh, stand up, which was the custom, to read the Scripture, and then he would sit down to teach. And I was thinking, boy, you know, uh, that, that's a lot different than what we do. But the other side of it was is that I didn't realize was that synagogues were relatively small groups. Uh, there weren't a lot of huge synagogues. In fact, you could have a synagogue with as few as, well, it needed at least ten. In fact, I think the, the, the term was ten reputable men. <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, they, I, so it wasn't necessarily big groups. And in Galilee, he, there, you could have several synagogues in one geographical area, in one city or one, one you know, geographical spot. In fact, even in Jerusalem with the temple there, they still had, uh, I, I think one number is over 400 synagogues uh, in the, the Jerusalem and the surrounding area. So... The idea was that Jesus would go in, he would read and, and, and sit down, and he would talk about the Scriptures. He would teach. Now, proclaiming is more an idea of, of declaring or announcing something that is, is coming along. In other words, he would be proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then if he were teaching about that, he would be explaining possibly from the Old Testament how that would be about, come about. For instance, going back into... Uh, looking when he went to Nazareth. And we shared these scriptures a while back, but he went to Nazareth to preach. And he talked about Isaiah 61.1. It said he stood up and, and he read these scriptures and then he sat down and explained them. And in explaining them, he said, by the way, these scriptures are now fulfilled in me. And it was about coming and, and preaching the gospel and healing the poor, uh, preaching to the poor and healing the sick and even raising the dead. All of which we see that Jesus does in his ministry. So... Teaching, proclaiming, and, and I'm still having a rough time saying, well, which, for instance, you know, it's kind of, which am I? Am I? Am I proclaiming or am I a teacher? Am I a proclaimer, a, a preacher, kind of that context, or am I, a, 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 you know, am I over here as the teacher? And, and I'm thinking sometimes it's hard to discern the, the difference between them. And I was so thankful that R.C. Sproul agreed with me. Oh, wait, or maybe I agreed with him. But anyway, uh, the idea was rather, he says, it's rather difficult, if not impossible, to teach without preaching to some degree. Or, it's rather difficult to preach without some level of teaching. In other words, they tend to go hand in hand. And so what he did, he, he, and I thought of it more in a, in a continuous, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a line. One end is, is teaching and the other end is preaching. And he said a spectrum, but the idea is, is that uh, one, you're at one end and the other, and, and normally we're somewhere in the middle as to who we are and how we do it. And any one time that I share from the pulpit, I might be more teaching one time and possibly a little more proclaiming another time. And so uh, what he said, and I, I, I never even heard this phrase, raw opposites. He said these are not raw opposites. In other words, they're not absolutely opposite of each other. Instead, they're one end or the other of a spectrum which tend to be combined. Uh, and so, uh, as Jesus would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, He would explain from the Scripture what that might mean. And I was thinking of some examples, and, and I thought of Luke chapter 24. As Jesus is going with the, 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 the disciples, He was explaining, He was teaching at that point the men on the road to Emmaus. He went back and talked about all the Old Testament scriptures that talked about the Messiah. So there would be an opportunity of, of, of kind of that idea of teaching. And, uh, and, and at the point in time, though, proclaiming that he is the Christ in the process. 
Again, R.C. Sproul expounding, uh, he said it's expounding, understanding, uh, move to action. Um, I uh, have this one thought. He says, we who are Reformed tend to be stronger teachers than preachers. The non-Reformed tend to be stronger preachers than teachers. We agree with the Bible, but remain unmoved by it. They are quick to be moved, but not always by the Bible. The Bible is not just filled with truth. It is filled with truth that ought to change us. It isn't enough that we teach the Bible. We need the Bible to be preached. And what it is is the idea of teaching with the understanding of, of bringing about a proclamation. You need to what? Change. You need, there needs to be something that happens. So I'm doing all this teaching to come to a conclusion that there is a proclamation at the end. You know, and, and, and I think of a friend of mine who he never wanted to, to preach, he, although he could do it. Dale Cathy, was, you remember the Cathy's and stuff. Dale Cathy. And uh, he says, I've got that simple sermon. He, he, he would read a few verses and then he'd come to his proclamation, his conclusion. Turn or burn. You know, you know, and and so uh, he said that you know it would always be simple uh, for him to 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 preach the message that it was in his heart. Uh, so teaching and preaching are are things that are important within the framework of the gospel. And what Jesus does, it's interesting. I uh, if you break down an outline of the of the book of Matthew, um, we're coming to the the next series of, of sermons that are going to enter into. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, starting with chapter 5. And it's interesting that Matthew chapter 5 through 8 is teaching and preaching. And you'll see it as, 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 he, as it comes together. And so, the next, you know, those three verses, it's a section on specifically teaching and preaching. Keep that in the back of your thinking here. Now, in verse 23, it says that he was also, you know, healing. Every disease and affliction. And uh, that idea of disease to affliction kind of covers a spectrum of anything from, from uh, you just got uh, you know, uh, sick just recently kind of thing or people with chronic long-term illnesses. And it goes on in verse 24 to actually give dimension to this. Diseases, pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and He healed them. This is miraculous stuff going on here. Miracles. And I look at this and, and I'm thinking the first thing we have to understand probably is, is what is a miracle? And there's a lot of, of, of definitions uh, here's just a simple one that is basically a dictionary definition you'd get off of, of the Internet. Uh, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. That's, you know, at least it gets there. The miracle of rising from the grave. I thought, whoa, you know, at least yeah, now they're getting serious here. Wonder, marvel, sensation, phenomenon, supernatural phenomenon. And the very typical context is you know, something that is supernatural, it is of God, something that man can't do. There's you know, the idea of, of, of beyond what is natural. Unexplainable by natural law. Those are all things that we use to, to kind of describe the idea of what a miracle is. And there was an, an article that uh, I, was, I got to read that, that went back to a, a person quoting a person that was uh, speaking way back in 1906. And in 1906, in the, the turn of the century, there was a lot of, of trying to discount if you will, I don't know if that's the right word, best word, but to, to undermine what we would say traditionally the miracles were, even within the framework of people teaching in churches. 
And so they would try to explain away the miracles in natural ways. And I'm sure some of you have heard some of these explanations. You know, for instance, the Red Sea parting, with Moses parting the Red Sea. There's a, a, a point in time in, in why the, the, the person uses Lake Erie as an example. It's hard for me to understand. But uh, they, they, the idea is that if you get a significant amount of wind on Lake Erie, it leaves one end of the lake uh, dry, or if you will, without water sitting on it, and the other end of the lake literally 16 feet higher than normal under this particular type of wind. And I thought, yeah, but this was on both sides, so I don't know if that works. But, but the idea was, was the, that there's some natural cause for this. Jesus, when he was walking on the water, was actually probably walking on a sandbar. You know, different, you know, just trying to explain away certain things. And yet, some of the miracles you just can't explain away. So what they turn to those is they turn around and say, and those are more like, you know, the things that we attribute to almost like legends, uh, super, you know, hero type of things. You know, Davy Crockett, you know, he, he, he uh, uh, killed him a bear when he was only three. Okay? How many of you remember that Davy Crockett slogan? Killed him a bear when he was only three. The question was, was Davy Crockett only three or was the bear only three? Um, the idea was, was that you know, we have a lot of things that build up around people and their legends and, 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 and this type of thing. They're saying a lot of things were... were attributed above and beyond in some way to magnify who Jesus was. Uh, and so, speaking during that time around the turn of the century, and by the way, that's still going on. I've shared with you many times uh, you know, the idea of, 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 of someone looking at the resurrection and all the different explanations that people have about the resurrection. You know, an empty tomb because the body was stolen, an empty tomb because Jesus was revived and he got out on his own. Um, an empty tomb because they had the wrong tomb. All these things trying to explain away various things. Even today, we, we run into this. But what this one person wanted to suggest is that there is constantly a miraculous environment going on all around us. If, and he would say, if like Paul would, since, if you will, if, uh, if, if creation actually happened and God literally spoke things into existence, then the very nature of creation at its beginning is supernatural. And if, really, since, it says in the Scripture that Jesus holds everything together by His Word, then everything is supernaturally being held together even now. I believe that to be true. And, and so there's a supernatural environment going on through nature. In fact, so much so that, and he was actually getting to where Paul was, clear back in the book of Romans, nature therefore must reveal that there's a God. If you look at it hard enough and long. In fact, while people are saying science is undoing the supernatural, he says if anything, science was going to in, in, increase the idea of the supernatural. And today, what do we see? Science trying to explain things outside of the supernatural that they just simply it can't be done. And so, we look at this and, and what he was trying to say was there is the miraculous going on all around us all the time. That supernatural, what we see as supernatural, an act of God working beyond or outside of the, the, the bounds of, of the creation. In other words, in, you know, reaching his hand in and doing something uh, that comes from him and him alone is, is seen throughout the Scripture and is actually natural for God. Does that make sense? The supernatural is actually natural for God. That's his nature, to intervene and do the things that man can't do. What is the most amazing miracle that goes on in, in, around us? And Jesus said it was an amazing thing. Paul and others, when we look at it, you can see that, that it's an amazing thing that's happening. Our salvation. There is the, 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 it is the most amazing thing you can think of when you start to put it together and how it is accomplished through Christ.
God enters into the world in Christ as, the, as, as in the flesh and, and goes to the cross and pays for our sins. And He does so completely. Why? Because we can't. That is a supernatural thing. It's, it's, it's something that man can't possibly accomplish. And, and so, uh, there is the supernatural going on around us constantly. And I just thought that was important to say because a lot of times people are getting more hung up on saying, well, where's all the miracles? And I have to say, I, am, uh, I, I think that sometimes, you know, I think there's seasons in, in history where we see uh, you know, miracles and, and, and times where maybe we don't see as many. But the, the picture is, is that show me, if, if God would just do a miracle, I would believe. We'll look at that a little bit closer in a minute. Nature reveals that, that there's something, there's a creator. It declares, in fact, this, this article went on to say it demands a creator. And, and again, what is supernatural for us is natural for God. The purpose of the miracles, why were they being done? And sometimes that might help us understand why they, we see them throughout history possibly as in, in seasons where there's more than other times. And there's a, a gentleman, uh, Justin Holcomb. Is that your, your, your Justin? Is that the... Yeah, okay. I, well, when I say your Justin, it's just that he's done some, inter, done some work with him on some books. Uh, but uh, uh, Justin Holcomb, basically, uh, he's a Reformed theologian, uh, seminary, uh, professor and Gordon Conwell uh, professor, and uh, uh, he looks at you know the idea of Old Testament uh, Jesus Christ, the apostles, and today as to the miracles going on. And he writes this: miracles in Scripture are acts of God that proclaim His sovereign power over creation, as well as His commitment to the good of His people. Miracles are often significant because they serve a larger purpose in God's redemptive plan, testifying to the authenticity of God's messengers who bring His revelation to humanity. This is one of the primary functions of miracles in the scriptural narratives. When miracles occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel. Miracles authenticate God's message and His messengers. And he sees that in the Old Testament, again, with Jesus Christ, the apostles, and today. And I was thinking, okay, where, where could I just take a, the simplest way to look at that this morning from the Scriptures? And, and I'm just going to use the Gospel of John and a couple of references in the, in the book of Acts. But in, in John chapter 3, verse 2, who's coming to Jesus there? Nicodemus, okay? And, and it, it says... Uh, that he came by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, the signs that Jesus were do was doing were things that were validating his claim to be one who comes from God. In chapter 5 of verse, uh, verse 36 of John, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And you can go on and on, John chapter 7, verse 31. Uh, and the reason why I'm staying with John is simply because I can just go one right after the other. Uh, yet many of the people believed in Him, Jesus, they said, when the Christ appears, will He do more signs than this man has done? In other words, look at the amazing things He's done. Will anybody come along that's going to do more than that? He must be who He says He is. And in John chapter 10, uh, just this one more, verses 22 through 25, where Jesus is claiming that He and the Father are one, it says, at that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Him and said to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in My Father's name bear witness about Me. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, uh, as Peter is preaching the first message, the first sermon after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church, uh, verse 22, chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. All I'm trying to point out is the importance part of, of, of Jesus at the point that He's doing the things He's doing and healing everyone that, that was coming was to be, a, a, a more than anything else, a confirmation of who He is and what He's doing. Does God still confirm His work and His ministries with miracles? Yes. Does He do it at, at our beck and call? No. He does it according to His time and purpose. And I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I'm just going to say that I believe that in the framework of His will and His sovereignty, I have had the privilege of seeing some miracles happen. I I know of some people who, you, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. You can go to their X-rays and see uh, their lungs full of cancer or their bodies full of cancer, praying of uh, and a laying on of hands, anointing with oil, and a week later being declared. In, in well in remission, and we well we can't find the cancer. We don't know what happened to it. Even to the point of questioning, uh, sometimes you know, did we have the right X-rays? Um, God had, is is still doing miracles today. Again, according to His purpose and His time. So I pointed out Matthew chapter five through seven is the Sermon on the Mount, talking about His teaching and proclaiming. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 talk about the healings that were going on. And, and so if you just take a, a, a quick run through Matthew chapters 8 and 9, and I'm just going to use the, the, the headings that uh, the English Standard Version puts in as to, you know, to summarize a, a heading. Uh, you see uh, chapter 8, Jesus cleanses a leper. The, uh, on in chapter 8, the, the faith of a centurion where his servant was going to be healed. Jesus heals many. Uh, Jesus calms a storm. Jesus uh, actually delivers two men from, from the demonic. And while we'll get to this at a point in time when it comes, it's just that is one of the most amazing miracles to me because these men were chronic. It was long term. They lived on the, uh, uh, the uh, east side of, of, of the Sea of Galilee uh, and they actually lived in the cemetery and they were demonically possessed. And, and it says, you know, the way that it says it is Jesus and the disciples land their boats right where these guys would be coming down. And, and, and I can only imagine that Peter, James, John, Andrew, Seth, the guys are fishermen. They all know nobody parks here. <laughs> You know, this is the wrong place to be. And these two guys, naked, their hair, sores all over the bodies, come running out of the, uh, the tombs down to them, and I imagine yelling and screaming. And, and, and they immediately, they get to the presence of Jesus and they fall at his knees. And you can tell that they are absolutely terrified of who he is. And these kinds of things, that, that these miracles show his authority, his power, his position, you know, his ability to to heal diseases, deliver from the demonic, as you read those stories out, and and just powerful stories. Uh, Jesus heals a paralytic, uh, uh, restores a, a life, and 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 then a woman that's healed, uh, heals two blind men, uh, heals a man unable to speak, and so it's it's the power, if you will, of identifying who Jesus is and his ministry. He is from God. Here's what, you know, it's just powerful to see what he was doing. And what I thought was interesting is that both of these sections are encompassed or, or uh, on either side. Uh, one is verse 23 of chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom of healing every disease and every affliction among the people. But specifically, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And in chapter 9, it ends with verse the section, uh, the last few verses, starting with verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so, 
How is he doing that? Well, the Sermon on the Mount and the healings, all of these things were examples of what Jesus was doing. In fact, John says there, that, that there's so much more than what's recorded that what, in reference to what Jesus did. Has any one person of God done anything like that? Was, was Moses? You know, and Moses did a, a tremendous amount of things that God did through him. But it was constantly. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh, bringing forth the gospel and the good news and going to purchase ourselves. The picture was that all of this was to prove He is who He says He is. And by the way, Scripture makes it clear. Jesus, you know, some people say, well, this was something thrust upon Him or pushed upon Him over the year, you know, over His ministry time. Jesus proclaims it Himself over and over and over again. So, we have this picture of, of, of Jesus healing, proclaiming, uh, teaching, in, in, in the surrounding areas of, of, of Galilee and, and, and in that general vicinity. And so, what's the result of all this? Well, it says in verse 24 that his fame spread throughout all of Syria. Syria possibly being the Roman reflection, uh, picture of, of the Palestinian area. But it gives it specific details in, in uh, verse 25, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. I, I put a little map in your, in your uh, bulletin uh, just so that you could see the area that it's talking about. And what I, I, I couldn't find one that, that I could fit on the page without shrinking it and, and, and doing things that I didn't have time to do. But Damascus... I just want you to know, Damascus, if you go to the top of the map, you'll see Mount Hermon. If you went about 30 miles northeast of that, you would have Damascus. Okay, And the reason why I put that there is just that Damascus was one of the chief cities of the Decapolis. Decapolis just simply means ten cities. And so ten cities in that area from Decapolis, uh, Damascus to down to Philadelphia were all part of the Decapolis. East of the, uh, of, the, uh, the, of the Jordan there would be just the, the area of Perea. Uh, then you would have Galilee. You would have Ju- Jerusalem, Bethlehem. All of that area would be Judea and Jerusalem. And it would also encompass the idea when he said Syria, even of Samaria. So all of that area, people were coming. And what's interesting is as Jesus is going out and preaching, all these people are starting to come. And what, what are they doing? They're bringing the people that in their families and in their friends that are, are that are sick and Jesus is healing them and and it says they started began to follow him the result of, of, of all that was going on at this point in time was that Jesus it literally says fame spread he was becoming recognized specifically separate from John the Baptist separate from the the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the temple and the, and, and the Levites and the and the scribes and the Pharisees, he was being recognized in an area that was extremely dark as far as the the presentation of the Word of God was going. And it was, like Isaiah said, the the, the darkness was invaded or the light invaded into the darkness. Now, there's a point where I have to look at this and say, you know, what, what do we do today with this? And first and foremost is for me not to, to start looking around and seeing, well, where's the miracle so I can see if I really believe in Jesus? First off, even in the Old Testament, or I mean in the New Testament, we find several situations where Jesus is, has been sharing and preaching and, and he's, re, he's rejected. He's not believed. John chapter 11 and, ver, and chapter 12 talk about how uh, they'd seen many of the leaders and, 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 and scribes and, and, and Jewish teachers had seen the miracles of Jesus, but it says they did not believe. Not only did they not believe, but after the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, they decided that they needed to kill Jesus because He was getting too much attention in the Jerusalem-Judea area now. And He was upsetting the apple cart. In fact, 
says they not only wanted to kill Jesus, they were going to kill Lazarus too because he was the proof that Jesus was who he said he is. One of my favorite miracles to look at, and I'm going to share this with you because what got me into seeing the Word of God and and searching it out was the reality of, of someone challenging me to read the Gospel of John with the idea that John's passion would come through and show that he believed what he was writing. In fact, uh, the guy that was telling me this even even said, "You don't have to believe it, Bob, but just see if you can think. Do you see that John believed it? Do you think he was passionately writing about something that he believed, or that he was just telling a storyline?" I'd never been challenged that way. I had read parts of the Bible, but I I, I went back uh, to my work and. By the way, I was self-employed, so I could do this. Uh, I went back to the, my work, and I sat in my spray booth with, with, in a rocking chair where the light was good, and I, could, and I started reading the Gospel of John. And one of the things that really, really impressed me was the passion that John wrote with. And the, and the, the picture of, of that, that thought of, this is a man I, that, that could easily be interpreted as believing what he's writing. Some of the things I couldn't understand, one of them specifically was the resurrection of Christ. But one of the miracles that, that really intrigued me was the man born, born blind in John chapter 9. Because the, it was interesting, the first, the first thing the disciples asked, is this man born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned or he sinned in the womb? Or, or why? You know, Because there was a common factor. If you had an ailment, it was because of your sin. Jesus said, none of these, it's to prove... The, the, to the power and the glory of God, basically. And Jesus heals him. Sends him off to the pool, uh, the pool of Siloam to, have, to wash his eyes out after he'd made clay from the ground and actually spitting in it, rubbing it together, and put it on his eyes. I'm thinking, you know, that's pretty intense. Yeah, especially in a culture where, you know, well, never mind, I won't get into the idea of all the cleanliness things. But, but, but the idea was is that this man went and did it. And he could see. He never had seen Jesus. You've got to understand, Jesus sent him away to go and, and wash his eyes. And so uh, he's challenged about this. And there was an actual evolving of his testimony. First he says, well, yeah, it happened. And they said, we don't believe you. And, and they went and got his parents uh, that, and... and and asked them, and he said, yeah, he was born blind, but as to what happened to him, we don't know. Uh, they, they weren't going to be in, involved in this. And in the process, uh, you know, his testimony grew. And he says, one thing I know is even, um, uh, no one has ever done this. Nobody's ever healed a man born blind. And then a little bit later, he actually meets Jesus face to face, falls down and worships. And I just saw all of this and growing in there. And I thought, you know, how how... How amazing, what an amazing picture this was. And, and uh, the raising of Lazarus and, and, and the resurrection, looking at all of these things, you come to a point after reading them, and for my case, studying them for uh, uh, over a year, trying to figure out how it came together and why these men would believe this. I came to that conclusion, they believe it, but why? And, and, and just finally got to that point where the Holy Spirit showed me, if you will, convicted me, these are truths. What are you going to do with them? In other words, as you look at this, as you read this, as what, even what I've shared with you this morning, at some point you have to make a decision as to what you're going to do with this. Some here received, you know, believed, others refused. And I realize that you know that's the same today. When you read these things, you, you know you have to make a decision. I had made a decision at one point before this man had shared with me that I was not going to listen to anything that came from Christian witnesses, people who were our friends who had become Christians. They'd show up with their Bible uh, and 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 share with Kathy and I. And I finally, you know my testimony, and 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 I finally said I won't have anything to do with this anymore. When they show up, I'll leave. When they're gone, I'll come back. And I didn't want anything to do with it. A month later, 
I'm reading the Bible. And, uh, and, and, and being challenged and to the point where I, I became, just I couldn't let go of it. And you finally come to that conclusion. Jesus, and, and this was out of Josh McDowell during that time, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's who he said he is. Which one do you see? And as I realized the truth of what I was beginning to see, it came to that point again. Like I said, you have to do something with it. And for me, it was the only thing I could do was to receive it. There's a point where you're called to... to, to Make that decision. And uh, Romans chapter 10 says that it's basically done by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And the idea of believing in your heart is one thing, but the idea of confessing with your mouth is the idea of putting it forth that other people will know that this is who you are. And... uh, uh, I just wanted to, you know, to say that that decision was being made at the point in time that Jesus was teaching and proclaiming and doing all of these miracles, and it's still the same decision that's stood before us today. Where do you stand with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? And and so uh, this morning, I'm going to put that question to you this morning. And and, and you know, I I look around and I know most of the people in here, and sometimes I feel like I. You know, the, the old uh, proverb, preaching to the choir, you know, preaching to the people who already believe. But, you know, the other side of that is that maybe God is doing something in your heart today where you're seeing something fresh in the, in the Word of God that's calling you to do something fresh with Him. And so it's not, all, it's not just people unsaved that need to hear this message and be reminded, but all of us need to be reminded in the sense of why is it we have said yes to Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He has purchased our salvation. And He did it through the cross. He became the sacrifice that would cover our judgment. He became the the, the person taking that judgment, the wrath of God for me, for you. And again, I I can't get tired of saying this, as a result, I will never know the full wrath and judgment of my sins because Christ did it on the cross. And when He said it was finished, it was done. There was nothing I could bring to it to make it better or more complete. All I could do was say, yes, you are the Son of God. I believe in my heart and I will say it from my mouth. That is who you are. Communion's a perfect time to recommit your life uh, think about who you are, where you're walking with Christ, and make a fresh commitment. There may be some of you today that want to make a uh, need a specific prayer uh, in reference to to where you are with Christ. Uh, and so while we're singing the song uh, as the communion's being passed out, uh, I'll be up here. If you want to come for, uh, for prayer, feel free to do so. And uh, hold the communion until we've all been served, and we'll share it together.
saying together is Jesus, your blood is sufficient to take care of all of my sin and more. It's, 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 it, it does the job completely, unequivocally. Nothing that I can do to add to that. But also, all my trust is an ongoing thing. And I have to tell you, I wrestle with this one. I frequently find myself pulling it back and, and, and trusting in my own efforts to take care of things from day to day. I want to suggest to you that not just our salvation, but even getting through this life physically and all of its things, uh, health and, 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 and situations uh, for our whole lifetime, when we rest in Christ, we still, as we trust in Him, we can rest with the absolute confidence that everything that He's working out will be ultimately for our good, even our mistakes he can turn around as only he can do and bring about something good from them. Sometimes it's a testimony that will change other people's lives. So different, many different things that he can do. And so it's not just trusting in him for our salvation, but are you trusting in him in a sense for your life here and now and seeing you through? Jesus, on the, cro- uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the, the bread from the meal that he was sharing with his disciples. And, and he just gave this very clear, distinct, graphic picture for me and us and all of us. And that is, is that he said, this is my flesh. It's, it's broken for you. 
So that, you know, and he asked us as often as we would share this to do this in remembrance of him. The bread representing that God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming in the flesh, but not just to teach and to proclaim and to heal, but to act on our behalf and actually become the sacrifice that would remove the wrath of God from, our, from us and, and, and cover our sin. And so he shared with them this picture. This is my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant to that covenant of grace. He asked us as often as we would drink this to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, again we come with thanksgiving this morning, recognizing that you are the creator of the universe. Your, your word holds it together. And not only that, but you actually invaded your creation physically in the flesh to cover for us our sins. We were helplessly, hopelessly lost. There's nothing that we could do to get close to God, to enter into a relationship with the Father who created us because of our sin. You intervened. You became the sacrifice that opened the door, satisfied the wrath of God, allowed us to approach the throne of God with a confidence that only can come through you to, to plead and, and, and call for your mercy and your grace, not only for the, 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 the eternity in the sense of salvation, but for every need we have. We thank you that we can rest in you today because of what you have done. And so we're thanking you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you are yet to, go, to do for us. And we worship you. Jesus' name.